Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 60, where in a moment, we discuss starting your own business. But if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes to date, we've covered mortgages, investments, pensions, credit unions, self-built homes, help to buy schemes, premium bonds, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much anyway. And last week, we looked at how to trace a lost pension with our guest, Robert Cochrane, a retirement expert from Scottish Widows. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And in that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, the star of the show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Here we are, 60 shows young, Phil. And I don't think we've ever touched on this one, have we? Starting a new business. What do you think of this one now? We've maybe had the odd question that this yeah. came up at the end of the show, but not really something that we've touched on very much at all. But I, I thought it would be a really good one to do today. I, I'm finding more people considering starting up on, on their own. I, I don't know, like furlough's ended now, so I think that might be one reason why more people are kind of looking at things now. I, I think as well, just with the whole pandemic, some folk are worried about like job security. So they're now at the point where they think, right, I'm just going to go out on my own and be the almost the master of my own destiny. So I am, I'm, I'm finding a lot more folk looking at starting up on their own, some through choice, some through, I mean, unfortunately, that's one thing. I mean, quite a few employers have been hit quite hard over the, the last year or two. So it is it's something that I'm, I'm seeing more and more at the moment. And, and a lot of people, they don't want to rely on the state or an employer. So they think, right, we'll, we'll go and, and set something up and, and go it alone. Yeah, I suppose it's something that's uh, going to come up as an option increasingly as we do come out of furlough. An awful lot of people finding themselves out of a job and with a settlement of some kind. For a few, it might mean they're as close to retirement anyways, never mind. So that's what they do. Others might just land on their feet with another job opening up. And great, if that's the case. Some may have always wanted to go and branch out their own, done the research, but never had the money. And maybe now has offered them that financial injection they need. But I think, Phil, if we can help anyone the most here, it's that section of people who've lost their job, maybe can't find another straight away, and they found themselves almost in desperation more than anything else, thinking, well, I do have skills. I've got some experience. Maybe I could do something on my own, because I think that's a bigger proportion of startups than you might otherwise imagine. And for that section, if that's you... We know everything's daunting, so we're here to help. Stay with us. Okay, Phil, uh, starting up a new business, where do we begin? Do you know what? Like, I, I've, I've had my own business for, for over 10 years now, and I mean, it is, it, it's something I really enjoy. I, I've got more control over the hours that I work. Like, in the early days, I had to work long hours and, and weekends and stuff, so there, there's pros and cons to having your own business, but one, one of the first things to, to think about is how you're going to actually set up the business, like the, the business structure. You, you get, I mean, in the early years for myself, I started off as a, a sole trader. So the, the, there's a couple of different options. You've got sole trader, you can set up a limited company. There's other ones as well, like partnerships. 
limited liability partnerships. And the, the things with each is that they, they all have different tax implications and different rules around record keeping and, and reporting. Also as well, for, for example, when I was a sole trader, it was me that was personally liable for, for everything. Whereas now the, the company is a, a limited company. So it's the, the, like, for example, any advice that the financial advisors give here, that is down. It, it's the limited company that's liable for that, not me personally. So there, there's a lot of different things to think about when you're, you're looking to set up. It's like, do you want to be a sole trader, limited company? As I mentioned, there are other ones as well there, like limited liability partnerships, partnerships, new, numerous different options. But a lot of people, when they start out, they'll, they'll start out as a sole trader. What happens there? You've got a, a tax return to, to do. I, I know one accountant that I know well, he, he used to say to folk, look, if you think you're going to make over £30,000 a year, set up as a limited company. And the reason he would recommend that is for, for tax reasons. And he's like, if, if you don't think it's going to be as much as that, then just start off as a, a sole trader because it, the accountancy fees would take away some of the tax savings by going down the, the limited company route. But with, with a limited company, you, you can pay yourself a small wage. And one of the advantages of that is that you don't have as much national insurance to pay. And the, the profits that you make, they're taxed. You, you pay corporation tax on that. So you, you can actually sort of adjust things. You might think, right, I'll, I'll pay the corporation tax, but take out so much dividends. So there, there can be tax advantages of, of having a limited company. Whereas for a sole trader, the way that kind of works is that any profit you make after expenses, that's what you pay your, your tax on. So a number of things to, to consider there as to how you set up the company. Another thing to consider as well is a name for your business. And I know with myself, um, when I set up Phil Anderson Financial Services, it's quite a basic sort of name. It's not very fancy, but I, I included my name in it purely just so people could find me and knew that it was me. So a lot of things to think about when you first set up. Okay, so that, that's the structure of the business. Next on our list here, you've got finance. Phil, what are you referring to here? I mean, here's me. I'm a sole trader working <laughs> at my kitchen table, maybe, chasing down leads and business. I've, I've got my, my computer. What do I need finance for? Well, it depends. Like, di different types of businesses will need different things. I mean, when I set up on my own, I, I was quite fortunate as well. I, I didn't really need much initially. I had a £7,000 redundancy money that, that I'd had from my, my employer before that. The main things I needed was some equipment like photocopiers, printers. That, that was the main things that I needed. But depending on the, the type of role that someone's doing or, or type of work, I mean, they, they may need money for equipment, machinery. I mean, if, if someone was wanting to set up as a like a car sales dealer, they would need to buy cars and get stock. So it really all depends on what type of stuff someone's doing. I mean, like my, my partner, she's a, a dog walker. Now, at the minute, she's full of capacity. She, she's actually turning people away. I think during lockdown, more people were, were buying dogs. And as a result, the, the demand for people looking for dog walkers has actually increased massively over the, the last wee while. So if somebody was setting up at that type of business just now, probably the biggest expense they might look to, to pay out was for maybe purchasing a van. So there can be some businesses that will be relatively cheap and easy to set up. For others, they, they might need finance. So 
Another lot of people will maybe look at buying a franchise. So again, it's finding ways to, to finance that as well. One of the things that the UK government allows people to, to apply for is they've got what's called a, a startup loan. And you, you can actually apply for between £500 and £25,000 to, to start or grow a business. The, the business has got to be less than two years old. So that's one of the, the kind of stipulations that they've got. I'll post a link to that page on the, the various social media channels, but that, that's a good option for, for some to try and get some kind of money at, at the beginning. That's done through the, it's called the, the British Business Bank. I'll post the, the links to that. They, they've got a fixed interest rate. The terms are quite good that you can pay it back at any time without any penalty. You can choose a term between one and five years. That's one option for trying to get finance for your business. The government have also got a, a really good page. It's gov.uk slash business dash finance dash support. And it lists all the various sources of finance and grants that might be available as well. It, it's also quite good because you can filter it down to what region you're in. You can also put in what sector you're in. So it, it's really good. Other places that you can go to try and get pointed in the right direction are places like Business Gateway and the, the Prince's Trust is another one that, that folk can kind of look at as well. But getting finance for business, I know what it's like myself. I mean, I, I've been fortunate that I've never really needed to, to borrow much money. I, I've looked at it for, for offices and things. And I, I remember once trying to finance an office purchase. Office was worth about 100,000 plus. I was only looking to borrow 40,000 and gee whiz, the, the amount of documents that the bank asked for. and yeah. so, so getting finance can sometimes be quite quite difficult, but there are a few different routes that you can look at for that as well. Uh, next up is a bit that puts loads of people off, I think, because they reckon it has to be about the length of war and peace, but they don't know what to put in it, and it's all in sort of legal, legalese. The business plan, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> uh, any good news here, Phil? You know, like, I, I think, I mean, if, if you're looking for finance, then the, whoever's lending you the money is going to look for a business plan. The likes of that startup loan that I mentioned there, that's one of the things that they ask for is a, a business plan. And, you know, you're right. A lot of people can be put off by, by that as well. I personally think a business plan is something that's good for people to have anyway. I mean, like myself, I've got a 90-day plan. I've got yearly plans, five-year plans. What I would say with them is it gives me focus and it just like it gives me clarity around what I want to achieve as well. So I am a one that I really think business planning is, is such a good thing to do. And and as as a company that deals with, with like financial services, I always think like having a financial plan is is great. But for, for someone looking to set up their own business, I, I think setting up business plans is such an important thing. The business gateway have got some really good templates on there I, I mentioned earlier as well about the the prince's trust and they've got some great templates as well they've also got packs that kind of help you set up kind of business plans and it, it's really good i mean with, with with the business plan packs that they've got it goes on about things like that there's sections about like an elevator pitch so just a, a short introduction to your business and what it does who's your customers your target markets what costs you got to have. It's really good. It goes into a lot of different details. The, the, the one that they've got, I think it's actually got about 10 different sections that, that you can complete covering all, all sorts of things. So the Prince's Trust is worth a look for, for templates for, for business plans as well. One, one thing that I did quite early on in my business, which really helped me, was 
I, I thought I'm going to get a business coach. So I, I used a company called Action Coach and I, I highly recommend them. It wasn't the cheapest thing to do. I mean, I, I used to be paying in, in the early days, oh, you like 500 quid a month for a, a coach. And at that time, I couldn't really afford to be paying that sort of amount. The, the coach that I used had a, a sort of guarantee to say, look, if I can make back what you're paying me for my fee, we'll refund that money. So that was a good guarantee that they had at that point, which was, was good for myself. But if, if you can't afford a coach, one thing I would suggest is maybe going and following some of these business gurus online. I mean, um, a, a lot of people have got so uh, various social media platforms and channels. And the guy that owns Action Coach is a chap called Brad Sugars. I, I follow him on Facebook, on LinkedIn, regularly watch his clips. You get a lot of free resources out there as well. I mean, a, a lot of the time, these sort of people are, are wanting you to try and buy their programs and, and spend money. Another good one was a chap called Brian Tracy. He's an American guy. He's he's older. He'd be a fair age now, but I, I would watch a lot of his stuff. I never, ever bought any of his programs, but there's so much free material out there that you can get. So places like YouTube are, are a great resource for, for all of that sort of thing as well. And it's all about learning, is it? I mean, when you're at school, you, you learn about different subjects, but nobody teaches you how to learn and run a business. So that, that was one of the things that I really had to learn in the early days when I set up on my own. don't know how you feel about this, Phil, just when you mentioned that there. I, I genuinely think, and, and it's maybe changed now, so I, I don't know, but I genuinely think there should be a part of school that teaches you, A, about you know finance, you know investing money, how to look after money, that sort of thing, and B, about running a business, starting one, running one, keeping one going, expanding, all of that. I think that should be taught in schools to a degree. Definitely. I think they, they do do more kind of business studies now, but I, I know when I was at school, I got like economics and you got accounting yeah. and, and stuff like that, but nothing on actually like running a business. And you're dead right about like financial things as well, because at the schools, you, you didn't get taught anything about banking. You didn't get taught anything about wills, financial planning, yeah. bank accounts, loans, mortgages, nothing like that. So that's where the podcast can be quite good for educating folk on, on some of the, the yeah. things. And that's why it's good just to do this topic today as well, I would say. Absolutely. And just recapping on that business plan stuff, you were saying there, you know, quite a lot of different outlets provide templates. I think now increasingly as well, if you're applying to a specific bank or something like that, they'll probably have a suggested template within their paperwork because it's in yeah. their interest. If you're going to apply it. to them, they're going to want to help you get that application over the line, aren't they? Definitely. I mean, I think that that one I mentioned, the startuploans.co.uk, that's that British business bank. They also have like a guide and a template as well. So there's plenty of resources out there. But the, the main thing with that is it's, it's kind of more to, to help you. I mean, for them, if, if you're borrowing money, they want to know that you're going to be able to, to pay it back. It's quite good for, for somebody to have like the focus and think, right, what's your skills and experience? What's your target market? What's your competition? I mean, that, that's something I do regularly as I'll go on. Competition makes people better. And I, I've, in the past, I've, I've had a lot of folks saying, it's like, oh, do you need to think that, like, I, I try to work with my competitors because I think if we can all improve, we're all better as a result of it. But again, the, the business plan can help with, marketing, sales plans, backup plans, lots of things that you can include in there which would be, be really useful for people. 
And you were talking as well there about you've got a 90 day plan. You've got, I think I said, a, you said a year plan, yeah. a five year plan. If you zoom out and zoom in, do they all tie in? Do they all play into each other? Yeah. I mean, what, what, I mean, we did an episode on kind of goal setting not that long ago. And what I kind of tend to do is I look and think, right, where do I want to be in five years time? And, and you know, like when I first set up my business, where I wanted to be was having enough money to feed and clothe the kids and put a roof <laughs> over our head. Yeah. That, that was what it was like in the early days. Whereas now it, it's kind of changed or it's evolved as the business has, has evolved. But that, that was basically it. I mean, I, I suppose my number one goal when I set up was to think, right, I need to make enough money to kind of pay my mortgage and feed my kids and clothe my kids. That, that was the first thing. And then as things, a lot of hard work in the early years that I, I put in, um, and, and even after maybe five years, I sometimes used to think, oh man, I could go and get a job and earn more than what I'm, for, for all, I, I kept, I mean, I, I used to always say to my ex-partner, it'll be worth it, we'll, we'll get there, and we, we did eventually, but oh, I tell you, it took a lot of hard work, and I, I guess for me, the, the thing was, I didn't know how to run a business, I, I was doing the work myself in the early days, and um, I took on an admin person, which was a, a big help to me at the time, which then allowed me, freed up a little bit of time, but allowed me to do different things that were maybe more profitable. And all that was done. The, the business coach was a huge help. I, I used a, a chap called Kenny Graham, who ended up working for us for a while initially. Kenny was a great resource, early doors. And they then I, I started using a chap called Stuart Mason. Stuart was brilliant as well. He kind of took the business from one level to another level, and, and it was excellent. So the, the business coaching helped me massively. One thing that I, one goal that I really set out early was I thought, I want to have a business that can run and make a profit without me being there. That's quite difficult to do because let's say you're a hairdresser, your job is cutting people's hair, but what you want to do is to start running a business to think, right, if I get the other folk doing that and then I can run the business and focus on promoting it and making sure there's customers coming in and that that, that was one of the goals that I kind of set early on but uh, I, I've got goals for like short term medium term long term but I, I've been there and done it I know what it's like sometimes you're just wanting to, your goal is just to, to get anything in that you can to survive mm. and I think as well in in, in the early days of, of setting up a business when you see what look like hurdles, you know, these things that you have to, to get through just to get the business plan completed, just to get the finance or whatever. It looks like all these hurdles in your way and it can be, over, it can be overwhelming, can't it? I mean, it, yeah. can, it can literally be quite daunting. You, you've also got to remember as well, if, if you've got your own business, you're not going to have access to maybe some employment benefits such as sick pay, that sort of thing. So it's there's a lot to take into account as well. I mean, the, the income might not be as regular. I mean, if you've got a job, you've maybe got a regular amount. I mean, when I first started, you get some months where what I found was that I'd get one month that was really good, next month it would be less, and it could really be up and down yeah. quite quite a bit. But I knew that I had to try and keep, in, in the good months, I thought, right, keep a bit of back. And I was always investing in the business as well. And that that's probably, in the first few years, I that I didn't make a lot of money, but it was, I, I was always thinking, right, the money that I'm making, I'm going to invest that back in, to maybe take on like another staff member or to get bigger premises. I was, all, I was always investing a lot, but I always thought, right, if I, because I had a good plan, I thought if I keep investing, I mean, even at the minute, the, the business has taken on more staff. So I'm thinking, right, instead of me pocketing as much of the profits, I'm thinking, right, take on more staff, we can help more people, it creates more jobs. And ultimately down the line, 
if things keep going the way they are, yeah, it'll create more profit for us at, at that point as well. But there is when you when you're self-employed, there, there's pros and cons, and it's trying to weigh all of that up when when you're going out on your own as well. You mentioned about the lack of benefits, right, Phil? I've I've always for well, thirty years now, I have always been self-employed, and I'll, this is something you relate to having been yeah. self-employed. One, it would literally take someone to chop your head clean off your shoulders before you don't turn up at work. And two, I bet any money you like, the the times that you used to get ill were probably day two or three into a holiday because that's when your body would finally (laughs) say it would just unwind and you'd be as tight as a drum just to get through whatever it was. And then you finally unwind and you'd, you'd get a little bit ill. Does that, do you relate to that? Oh, definitely. I remember once we were in um, in Spain, I think it was, one of the islands, and we, we all fell ill right in the day that we were meant to come home. I hadn't been, the, the business hadn't been going all that long. And I'm think they, they actually said this, look, the next flight back to Aberdeen is in a week's time. And, and my partner, she's thinking, oh, great, we can almost get, it wouldn't have been a, an extra week's holiday because it took us a few days to kind of, start feeling better. It yeah. was like a, a sickness and diarrhea bug that we all had. And it only lasted a couple of days and then we were fine. But I'm thinking, no, I need to get back. So yeah. in the end, we, we, the, the insurance arranged flights back to Edinburgh. I went to get our own way from there up to Aberdeen. But I was just like, no, I need to get back as quick as I can. So I know exactly <laughs> what it's like. I've been there and, and done that as well. Yeah. Going back to the likes of Business Gateway, they are dead helpful when you're starting out. They've, uh, on top of the business plan templates, things like that, they, they've got classes you can attend, experts you can access who show you things like, you know, um, if someone's searching online for the services you offer, how do you get your website to come on page one of the results for that search? And I'm pretty sure that all of Business Gateway services are free. Okay, Phil, what's next? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I used Business Gateway myself when I first started up. They were a really good resource. I, I, I Back then, I mean, at the minute, a lot of places are still doing a lot of online courses, but I, I attended quite a few of their, their in-person courses at, at that point. And they, they had various ones, like ones on starting up, marketing, networking, funding. They, they were really good. I think they also did one on on like securing your own premises and stuff as well. And that, that was one of the things I was going to, to touch on is that, I mean, it, it's important if you need premises, it's important to find the right premises, whether you're leasing a shop, renting an office. I mean, a, a lot of people these days are thinking, right, I'll just run a business from my laptop or from a kitchen or sort of room in the, the house. And I, I think, again, that's one thing that the pandemic's done is a lot more people are working from home. Less people are thinking, right, I don't need an office now. Or, But some people will need premises. And, you know, if, if you need premises, there's, there's probably some bargains to be, be had at the minute. So it's maybe not a bad time. I'm, I'm looking for an office up in Caithness just now. Prices of them are, are really reasonable up there. there. There's a few places that, that we've kind of looked at I have not rushed into anything because I think, right, it's more important for me to get the right place. If you are leasing somewhere, one thing I would always recommend is getting a a solicitor or someone to look over the the terms of the lease for you because some leases you might have to do improvements to the building and and stuff like that. So it's important to kind of monitor that. So things like premises is another thing to to be looking at and, and taking into account as well. It's an interesting one, this, if you're planning on working from home um, and, and not launching with, say, a factory employing 50 people just at your kitchen table. Do you need to change any insurances if you're working at home for the first time, Phil? I, 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 that's a question we've had come up on the, the show. 
But one of the things that I would say with that is I, I would always just check with your home insurance provider. If you've got buildings and contents insurance, maybe just contact them and just make sure that they're okay with that. In many instances, they, they will be, but um, same as well, if you've got a mortgage, if you own your property, if you've got a mortgage on it, some lenders wouldn't be too happy depending on, on what you're doing. Most of them tend to be fine. If it's just like a an office type role mm. working in a room in your house, they tend to be okay with that. But if, if for example, somebody turned their garden into a yard with loads of trucks, they wouldn't like that sort of thing. Generally, if, if it's something that they think might put people off buying it again in the future, lenders tend to really uh, to like that. So there's, there's, there's a few things to take into account there as well. But best to contact them, I suppose, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting, it's like a sidebar, this, and it's it's not to do with starting up your own business, but it occurs to me that post-pandemic, you've still got a situation where a lot of companies are saying, right, we're smart working, so we would prefer if you uh, come in on the days that we tell you and stay at home on the days that, that you know, we don't want you in here. So you're going to do like a three-two or something like that, yeah? Three, three days in the office and then yeah. two at home. If in the instance of, of your company instructing you to do that and you're sitting at home and working there, something happens where there's an insurance claim <laughs> and you're working, who's liable for the insurance, the company or you? Yeah, that, that's where it's up to the employers to be, kind of, for, for people who are working from home, making sure that people are covered. So that, that's the employer that would have the, the duty of care for, for that sort of thing. Again, if you're self-employed, I mean, one, one thing that, that we can touch on as well is that there's going to be various insurances maybe to consider that that was one of the things that I, I can I was going to mention as we, we go through so we'll be able to touch on that just in a, a few moments as okay. well here's one that chills me to the bone as a self-employed person Phil taxes and national insurance I can barely say it. taxes and national <laughs> insurance I'm shaking already uh, what do we need to know about that if we're starting up a business it is well one thing if, if you're starting a new business, you've got to register with HMRC. So that's Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, formerly known as the, the inland revenue. But um HMRC, so you, you have to register your, your new business there. They'll keep you right with things like national insurance. Um if, if you're a sole trader, um you've got to register for what's called self-assessment. Um so this is where you complete a tax return. Now, one thing when it comes to taxes. If you're a sole trader, you, you would fill in your self-assessment. So, for example, this, this tax year, so the 2021-22 tax year, it ends in April 2022. Your tax return doesn't then need to be in, and the tax doesn't have to be paid until January 23. So, so one thing that's important is you want to keep money back because when it comes to that tax bill in January 23, You've got the whole of the tax to pay for the first year, but you then have to pay half of the next year's on account up front. So it's easy. That, that's where your accountant, if you have one, would keep you right with all of that sort of things. But I, I know what it was like for me in the early days. You're thinking, oh, this is great. I'm not paying any tax at the minute, but <laughs> you are. You've still got the tax to pay. All that's happening is you've got a bit of time before your, your first tax bill is due. When it comes to tax as well, Another important thing, if, if your business has a taxable turnover of £85,000 or more, you need to register for VAT. Now, some businesses might benefit from registering for VAT, even if their turnover is below that. If you're VAT registered, you need to charge VAT on the goods and services you, apply, you supply. 
However, you can claim the VAT back on stuff that you pay for. So for some small businesses, that can be a, a good thing there. But that, that's where an accountant would probably come in and be able to keep you right with all of that sort of stuff. I must admit, VAT is something that I haven't really dealt with an awful lot in the past. We, we're quite fortunate with, with the business that I own. It's kind of exempt for most of the stuff. Most of the work is kind of exempt for tax. So that's not an area I've great kind of dealings in myself. but. Tax-wise, I mean, accountants would be able to keep you right there. If it's a limited company, limited companies pay corporation tax, so it's slightly different. Again, you've got different accounting basises as well. So, again, quite a, quite a lot to, to look into in that side of things. Okay, next, this this isn't something perhaps that will affect everyone, or it may to a degree as their business grows and becomes more successful. But let's take a look at it anyway. Employing staff. What do we need to know about that if we've never done it before, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I, one thing I would say if you're employing staff is you've got pension obligations. So there's um, auto-enrollment. We did a show, I think two shows ago on, on workplace pensions. So if you employ people, you, you've got a, an automatic, you, you've got to supply them or enroll them into a, a workplace pension. Other things, if you're taking on staff, that's important to look at is things like contracts of employment, staff handbooks. You want to have all of that kind of th- sort of things watertight as well. I mean, in, in the early days, you often think, right, what can I do to kind of skip paying out so much money? And, and things like that can often get, you think, ah, I didn't need that. But it's good to look at stuff like that. Same as well, I mentioned about you might want to consider if you need an accountant. It's also worth considering if you need a business bank account. Some sole traders will just open up a personal bank account and think, right, I'll keep that money separate. If it's a, a limited company, you would need to, to open up a, a business bank account there. There's usually costs for that, although a lot of places will do free business banking for maybe 18 months. I know with, with myself, I, I think I used one bank to start with got the free business banking for so long. And then once they started charging for it, I thought, right, I'll move the business banking somewhere else. But <laughs> see ya. <laughs> it, it can be a bit of a hassle. That's that's the only thing. And you're then changing direct debits and letting creditors know, right, this is where you have to pay money. And so it, it some folk would be put off by, by doing that regularly. And then you, you were mentioned about business insurance. So, I mean, if, if you're employing people, you might want to look at like, employer's liability cover. Other insurances would maybe be things like public liability cover for, for my business. So, so at Phil Anderson Financial Services, one of the, the things that's mandatory for us is that we've got to have professional indemnity insurance in place. It's a huge cost. That's one of the biggest costs that we've got over the years, unfortunately for us, because of all the various pension mis-selling, endowment mis-selling, things like that. Professional indemnity insurance for, for my business is really high. We, we've never had any upheld complaints and we, we're paying for all the kind of things that have gone on in the past. So it, so for me, it's quite a sore one. In, in the first year, it wasn't so bad and it, we, we could pay that monthly. But I, I think even in the early days, that was a two, three hundred pound a month that we were paying even back then. Fortunately, now it's like two or three thousand pound a month, which isn't so good, but that's where your budgets come in for, for all of that sort of stuff. But business insurance, the, the various things is, is important to look at there as well. Here's one that I, I might not have come across had you not brought it up. Data protection licenses and permits. What are we getting into here? And yeah, who, might, who might need them? I mean, the, the majority of businesses are going to need a, what's called a data protection license. If you're processing anyone's personal and financial or sort of personal information, 
Um, you're going to need a data protection license. You get that from the information information commissioner's office. The good thing with that is for most businesses, the fee's only going to be £35 a year. For bigger, bigger businesses, they might have to, to pay more. But if, if you are processing any personal information, you're going to need a data protection license. But that's something I think that many folk didn't really realise that they, they need to, to get. What's the... <laughs> I'll ask the $64,000 question here. What's the flip side? If you, you know, if you don't realise and then something happens as a result of that, what, what could happen to you? I mean, you, you could get a fine. I mean, I, I've got a business that's dormant at the minute and I keep getting letters from the ICO saying, look, you need to get a, a licence for this, but it doesn't need one because it's not processing any information because it's a dormant company. But it is, you've got to watch th- things like that. I mean, the, I, I don't know what the fines are, but you need to make sure that you've got all of these sort of things in place. And that's where folk like Business Gateway, they, they would keep you right with, with stuff like that. You may well get a letter. If, if it's a limited company you set up, then the ICO, I think, would write to you. If you're a sole trader, you might not realise and think, oh, I might not need this. But you, depending on what you're doing, chances are you, you probably will. So, and, and that one's quite cheap. It's like £35 a year if you pay by direct debit for most businesses. So it's not really a huge expense um, it's just another box that needs ticked up ticked off when you're doing things would this be a, a decent way to to sum it up or not sum it up but just um you know as a guideline if you are a business you know if you're a sole trader or otherwise and you have any kind of mailing list oh then, definitely then, then any, you're, you're any, need yeah it. any personal information that you've got if you had a business that records like cctv images basically if you you process some of these name and address on anything, you're going to need a, a data protection licence. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Phil, like all good board meetings, it's that uh, any other business section, which uh, we're calling other things to consider in the instance of you starting up your own business. On a personal level, when you when you change your working situation from employed to self-employed status, for example, there are ways that that impacts your personal life financially too, aren't they? I mean, we've looked at tax, but at this point, I was thinking more about your mortgage. And specifically, if you haven't already got one, it can be tough at that point to actually go out and get a mortgage, can't it? Yeah, definitely more difficult to, to get a mortgage if you're self-employed. I mean, most companies will look for at least a year's accounts uh, is generally what they'll, they'll look at. Some ask for more than that. So if, if you were looking to buy a property, like, I, I don't know, if you're ready to start up a business, that's something to take into account because you think, right, it might be best staying employed for a wee while longer. Once you've got the mortgage, you're fine. I mean, the, at that point, it's not so bad. I mean, if you were looking to review it at some point, it would impact that as well. One advantage, if you did set up a limited company, is that you can look at doing things like your life insurance through the business, which typically can reduce the cost of that by 40 to 50%. That's what's called a relevant life insurance. So that that's a good benefit for, for somebody that sets up a limited company. But yeah, there, there's other things to take into account, things like the, the how will it impact on you maybe getting loans, other finance, maybe if you're thinking about a new car, mortgage, n- number of different things there. Mm. Now, each week, so far as we've uh, covered various topics, Phil has given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. So, Phil, today, starting up your own business. Now, I can remember back to us, so first meeting at the Copthorne on a one-to-one basis, and you telling me your story of starting out doing work at your kitchen table, working away in your Todd. So I'm expecting something good here. What have you got? For me, I mean, like, I, I'd never had the bottle to go out on my own, got to be honest and say, I was like, 
comfortable being employed. I'd, I'd always, I, I remember the very first time, I, the, the firm that I worked for, big solicitor's firm, big property firm, the first time that I'd ever thought of it really was, I think they had, it was maybe like a 25th anniversary dinner and there was about 200 staff there. And I remember thinking, oh, how good would it be to be the two guys that own this firm, that all this folk kind of working for them. And that, that was the first sort of thoughts I ever had on it. But I didn't have the bottle to do it. And it actually took getting paid off for me to think, right, what am I going to do? I, I, I got offered a job at RBS, which at the time they, they went like belly up and they long after. So that was probably wise that I didn't <laughs> take that job. So sometimes you actually think, right, is it more secure in an employed position? But sometimes it's not. I, I, that's a thing. And, and I, I didn't know. I thought, right, I'm going to go out on my own. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, I'll then apply and, and try and get a job somewhere. And luckily for me, it's one of the best things that's that's ever happened to me. I mean, in, as I say, in the early days, an awful lot of hard work. I had to graft really, really hard. And sometimes I feel guilty because I'm, I'm kind of reaping the benefits of it now. I mean, I make a number of times more money now than what I ever did when I was employed. And not only that, I, I actually probably work like, I, I'm very fortunate that, like I say, but one of the things I wanted to do was build a business that could make money without me being there. And I, I've kind of got to that level. So that, that was always the, the set of goals for me long term. There was plenty of times that I doubted it and thought, ah, we're never going to do this. It's not going to work. And I kept like, no, keep at it. You can do it. And it paid off in the end. And and I hope for Andy that, that's listening to this, that is starting up their, their own business, I wish them all the very best of luck with it. And hopefully it'll, it'll be a real good success for them as well. Not that this is a you know a hard and fast uh, line by any means, but in terms of your own journey, Phil, you said you started up your own business 10 years ago. Yeah. And the, the idea was to get to the point where, as you say, you now have a business which not runs largely by itself, but makes money without your, your being there as yep. such on a day-to-day basis. How long did it take to get, in your instance, from A to B in terms of years? I would say for me, it's just coming up for, it's almost 11 years that the business is, it'll be 11 years just coming up. I'll actually need to check the dates. I, I often post on social media when the, the anniversary dates come up. I, I used to remember them, but um, not anymore. I, I'd probably say for me, maybe it took about, eight years, I, I would say is seven, eight years. To, in fact, I, I'd probably say about eight years is what it took me to get to that level. Some folk will do it a lot faster. Some never do it, unfortunately, but focus, having like the goals written down is a big thing, having good plans. And for me personally, having a business coach, I, I, I've actually got three coaches. I had one that kind of helped me more with personal stuff, one with business stuff and one for like fitness stuff. So Coaching was someone that helped me massively, definitely. But I'd say about eight years was the, the sort of time scale it took me to get to that level. Okay. And Phil, we always do this bit as well. I mean, I know you find inspiration through loads of folk that you admire and you love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on starting a new business? It's a Richard Branson quote today. Um, I think this is quite a well-known one. If somebody offers you an amazing opportunity but you're not sure you can do it, 
say yes, then learn how to do it later. Yeah, I do know that one. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you would prefer it that way. Let's get on to this week's contact details. Just a second. I'll give it to you after these. Now, here's our first question. Hi, Phil. I'm having real bother sourcing a mortgage right now. I became self-employed 18 months ago, and I know that's impacting things because the bank wanted to see three years of trading, which I simply don't have. I've been to a couple of places which have knocked me back, advising I don't even apply for a decision in principle. Any suggestions for what I can do? Yeah, you'll get, there are lenders out there that will be okay with with just one year's accounts. Um, What some will ask for is like one year plus a year's projection from your your accountant. But there's several lenders that, that may be able to consider it as things are at the minute. Obviously, it depends on how your first year has, has kind of gone as well. But Halifax are one of the mainstream lenders that would, would consider things. You also have other lenders. Um, there's one called Precise Mortgages, Bluestone or another one. I know their criteria for both of them. They just need one year's accounts or books. There hopefully would be options out there for, for this particular person. One thing I always say is like speak to an independent mortgage broker. They can research the whole market for you. And they know all the lenders' criteria inside out but hopefully i mean it seems as well like some contractors are classed as like some lenders will view them as self-employed but as, as one or two lenders might think right we'll class them more as a, a contract worker so so there does situations where, where that can come up so i definitely say hopefully lenders for for that particular one um i'd speak to a, an independent mortgage broker as well Okay, good advice. Just going back to that one for a second, you say that in terms of being self-employed, there are some lenders that will go to to trade in a mortgage with just a year at your back and possibly a projection of your, your second year yeah. or whatever. The the quote here was of three years of trading. Is there, is there a common time frame that, that lenders tend to look at in terms of that? Most tend to be two. It used to, it used to kind of be three. In fact, if, if lenders were getting two years accounts, they could often see three years history because a lot of the accounts would show that year and yeah. the previous year on it. But um, two two years tends to be what most look for. But as I say, there are ones out there that, that get one. If, if it was a buy-to-let property, do you know what? It, it can actually sometimes be easier for self-employed if they're buying a property to let out because they tend to have to put down a bigger deposit. Some lenders aren't so stringent when, when it comes to that, but it's got to be for being let out. I, I have had people in the past where they've said, oh, well, we'll just say it's a buy-to-let, but we're really good to be staying in it. Lenders are wise to that, and um, you, you want to get away with that. Because I was just thinking there about my, my my own situation. Quite often I'll work away in the central belt. Now, the idea might be to buy somewhere that you would let out eventually. Would you still get into trouble for that if you were staying there initially? With, with that one, I mean, it, it depends if you were trying to do it as a buy-to-let mortgage initially or some lenders will allow you to have like two residential mortgages and they, if you can afford it, they, they would allow you to have like a second home. So um, it all really depends on the... The, the actual reasons that someone is looking yeah. you, you get a lot of folk that try to pull a fast one but honestly lenders are so wise to it these days it's just good <laughs> next is one from ashley in Clyde bank now ashley says hi phil my grant has not long gone into a home with dementia and has been repeatedly anxious about lost money now we've no idea what she's talking about but wondered if it could be anything to do with some sort of lost or misplaced investment she's made as she was always very good with money when she had all her faculties. Is there any way of finding out this information for her with only really her name and address to go on? 
Well, one thing that's maybe worth doing, we touched on this in last week's podcast, was that they, you've got what's called the Unclaimed Assets Register. It's www.uar.co.uk. There's a cost of £25 for, for like using that service. I don't know what information they would need, but I don't think they need much, but they, they might need like a name, date of birth, address history, that, that sort of thing, and maybe national insurance number. Hopefully they could try and help track anything down if, if there was, but it could be quite a hard situation, that one. Yeah. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that is what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John.